Welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter and the managing editor of Ed Surge. Not that long ago, shows like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Sesame Street were the main entertainment options aimed at the youngest viewers. And a television set was really the only way to catch them. So it was pretty easy for parents to decide what to let their kids watch and whether to turn it on or off. In just the last few years, though, the landscape of media for youngsters has gone through a transformation. Now little kids watch videos on tablets or their parents' phones, and there's been an explosion of content on YouTube and other social media platforms aimed at these little ones. So what is the impact of all these streaming videos on young minds? And how can parents and educators make sure the mix of what kids see is healthy? Today, we're talking with someone who has been digging into those questions. Someone who hosts a kid's show of his own, and who says he's trying to make something in the tradition of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but doing it in the era of YouTube. And he says that can be challenging. That guest is Danny Lebrecq. He's the creator and host of the preschool series, Danny Joe's Treehouse. Hi! Can you come out and play? Won't you come out and play? It's a That's really Lebrecht singing the theme song from his show. There's so much to see and so much to do. Nature's calling you, you, you. From he has been in the field of early childhood development for 20 years, first as a preschool teacher. And over the last few months, he's been interviewing other prominent figures in children's media and early childhood development about the changes in the kids' media industry lately and how to navigate them. He calls his interview series Cookies for Breakfast because he's worried that algorithm-driven platforms like YouTube are creating a media landscape that may give kids what they want, as in a kid might actually pick a cookie for breakfast, but that's not necessarily what they need for enrichment. I think it's the responsibility of adults is to give kids a healthy diet. Um, we can make we can make food fun, you know. We can teach them how to grow a garden and and make salads and make fruit pizzas, you know. And and if you want to have a cookie every once in a while, great. Um, but there needs to be a balance. And I think right now the industry um, goes with what um, sells. Lebrecq recently pulled his own show off of YouTube and Facebook because of his concerns about what the algorithms on those platforms might recommend next after a kid watches his show. And he has partnered with other streaming services that use human reviewers instead of algorithms to recommend content. But he wonders if that means that some kids who might like his show may never see it because YouTube and Facebook are so dominant these days. I started by asking Lebrecq how he got into making a show for little kids. Like many kids from my generation, I'm 45 now, I grew up on television uh, my parents were dealing with a lot of stuff, like many other parents are, are still experiencing the big things in, in the world and managing their own uh, mental health along the way. And uh, some illness came into our family. My mom got very sick with um, cancer that lasted throughout our, our childhood. And uh, mm, that, you know, yeah. it, it, she, she was a survivor. She survived it for 30-plus years. Um, we learned a lot of good lessons from that um, persistence. Um, yeah. But there were definitely moments where my 
family needed some backup. And for us, the caregivers, I call them the caregivers on the other side of the television screen, showed up every every day of the week and had some quality affirmation um, readily available. Daily, daily messages of, you're okay. You're, I'm not going to sell you something. I'm just here to be with you. I'm here to be with you right now. Um, people like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, that was my favorite, still my favorite. I'm heavily influenced by his work. Um, but also Bob Keeshan, LeVar Burton, um, Sherry Lewis. Uh, and as I got older, I, I really started researching the, the pioneers, even going before people like Fred Rogers, um, Kukla Fran and Ollie with Bert Tilstrom and Miss Francis from Ding Dong School. People have been talking through the screen for a long time. Uh, but long story short, uh, as I got older and I was thinking about how much that, that relationship with those caregivers through the screen meant to me, they really showed up when I needed them. Um, and later on, I found out they were real. They weren't playing a part. These were real caregivers. They meant it. They were putting on a bit of a show, but ultimately, they really did care about the people on the other side of the screen. Later on in life, I became an early childhood educator and I was looking at what a lot of my kids were um, receiving through their screens. And I was thinking about what they were receiving in their real life experiences in their daily lives, the regular developmental milestones, um, but also heavier stuff. A lot of kids that I worked with back in Chicago were dealing with um, first and secondary experiences with gun violence and abuse and racism, religious discrimination, all the stuff that we tend to not associate with really young kids, but it absolutely impacts many children. And uh, the stuff they were receiving on their screens were great, um, but it was more distraction. It was I, I didn't see a lot of those same types of caregivers. Those types of caregivers were, were fading out. And what kids were getting was more leaning towards the side of distribution, um, selling the cartoons, the, 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 um, uh, if it, if it was a real human being, it was a human being being kid-like or being cartoon-like or clown-like. Um, it wasn't really sincere engagement the way that I remembered it. And I thought, well, I could do that, I think. (laughs) So 20 plus years ago, I started developing something, um, based upon the experiences that I had with my kids in the classroom and then transferring that into the present day screens. That's so interesting. And then you created, um, you know, Danny Joe's Treehouse. How many years ago? And and just for folks who don't know it, like, what is the basic premise? Yeah, we're we're coming up on our twentieth year anniversary um, from from the point of development. I think that's that's really the start of a, a show. When it comes to episodes that started coming out, that's that's more around the fifteen year mark, depending on how you. That's a, that's a long that. run. But it's a long way. run. Yeah, um, it's a long run being a, uh, a modern day local kids show host. We don't get a lot of attention, but we're consistent. Um, but yeah, about tw- we're coming up on our 20th year anniversary and uh, it's, it's all about, and you're still making the show, still making the show. Yeah. Yep. We're, we've, we've made it to the next, well, there's always levels to make it to, but we're on um, Kadoodle TV, the safe streaming platform, no algorithms. It's all human reviewed stuff. They've been around for a long time. Great, great platform, safe platform. And uh, we recently got picked up by Sensical, which is a brand new platform from uh, Common Sense Networks, backed by Common Sense Media. 
and again, it's it's human reviewed, no no algorithms. It's it's a safe platform. It's it's a the the sort of thing you can watch for free. You can do a light subscription for a low subscription for both things, but you don't have to worry on these platforms. You're, um, for for me, I, I noticed a lot of um, when I was when I was putting my stuff out on YouTube and Facebook Live, problems kept arriving, um, arising, and uh, my audience that I was serving, they were being impacted negatively and I couldn't justify being part of those uh, platforms anymore. Yeah, I, I really, yeah, I want to, I want to um, dig into that for a minute because the YouTube algorithm, I I have two small children myself and see, see the, the things that even on YouTube kids, like the, that, that kind of can come through as the next suggestion in the algorithm. But what are your you know, what, what have you noticed that made you pull back and, and take your show off of YouTube when I'm sure that had some boost for your numbers? Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's such a tough call because it's, it is such an easy way to build numbers and numbers seem to be so important in, in the children's media industry right now. When I pitch a show, <laughs> I, I'm often asked, before the content, before what's your story, what's your objectives, what's the learning objectives, before any of that, what's your audience size, what's your distribution potential, your marketing potential, what can we sell you know, through you, which is, it's a business, but that wasn't always the case. There's always been a struggle between distribution and content, but content used to lead a lot more, and I'm hoping that we shift back to that. Um, but yeah, with YouTube, I, I got emails from parents saying, hey, my kid was really enjoying watching your episodes. And then all of a sudden, the algorithm led them to a, what we felt was an inappropriate video for their age group, or weird commercials would pop up, even after COPPA, um, that were not appropriate for the age group. Um, I think it's telling. If you, if you look even at the YouTube Kids app in the description, there's a line um, that says, I might misquote this, maybe we can fact check it later, but it's, it's something to the effect of, um, no platform is perfect. Sometimes inappropriate content will sneak through, but we're continuing to try our best. If, if that was on the header of a daycare, you know, would, <laughs> you know, we're, we're trying our best, but sometimes inappropriate stuff's going to come in. But you know, this is your option. For a lot of people, there are no other options. It's free. It's accessible. It, 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 it can be a wonderful outlet. But if it's even hurting one kid, um, and we all know the stories of what seeps through on, on YouTube, um, even with everything they're trying to do, it's, it's, it's just very problematic. One of the guests that I had on for um, my, um, my series for adults, Cookies for Breakfast, was a gentleman named James Rubin. And he's he's a technologist. He developed the HQ Trivia interactive um, video game that was popular a couple of years back. Not really a video game, but like it was a live host asking trivia questions, and you could play in real time and win win stuff. And he took that tech and has been applying it to a um, a new app called HelloSource, which is an interactive combination of live action and and touchscreen technology, really cool stuff. Um, but he was saying how places like um, YouTube, they were built upon um, this code that relies heavily on algorithm. 
and there's so many layers, so many layers to it. It's it's very difficult to get down through all those layers to to repair to make sure that it is truly safe for young kids to to navigate. Um, so it's kind of like slapping a facade on something that's just not not made for kids. Um, and it's good that they're trying, but you know, there's until it's refined. I I, I personally feel uncomfortable about taking the risk. Can you give an example of something that you've seen like pop up that, that the algorithm does deliver even in a kid's context? Yeah, this is, this was something, this was a very specific example for Danny Joe's Treehouse, And all of my episodes are, are, they're very light. We're talking, we're talking about social issues, but we do it through a dream. Um, you know, the Rogers esque make believe, you know, filter. Um, right. And you have puppets and puppets. It's an old school approach. Um, but it's it's slow in pace and it's it's reassuring and it's meditative and therapeutic and it's something I'm really proud of. But I got an email from a parent that was letting their kids watch it during quarantine, and out of nowhere, the algorithm led them to another um, live action looking host with like a green screen sort of kids background, and he was telling knock knock jokes, kid kid friendly knock knock jokes. But at the punchline. He would slap himself in the face, smile, and then continue. Weird. We, I mean, weird stuff comes up in YouTube. And, and I think often creators will go, well, the stuff that's going to get me the most reactions, if I'm looking at the, the algorithm and the tags and all those, all those things, tend to lean towards kids' stuff and shocking stuff. And if you combine those two things together, you're going to get more hits. The, neg- the negative response will create more activity and you will get more hits. You can you know, earn more, etc. So anyway, that, that's an example of something that one of my families that I serve, I don't think of my families as audience. I, I'm, I'm serving them. They're my, they're, they're, it's like my preschool classroom. I just happen to have a larger virtual classroom. And somehow this guy got into my classroom. And, and, you know, that was a violation of trust that I've tried really hard over the years to establish with my audience. And uh, for me, it was, it was moving out of a space into a safer space. I, I, I also wonder, you know, you mentioned Fred Rogers as an, as an inspiration. Did, what would he say if he, if he heard that example or saw the way kids consume um, media today versus when he was starting out or in his prime? Well, I've definitely studied Fred Rogers in detail, and 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 his mentor Margaret McFarlane, and I've and I have mentors that work directly with Fred Rogers, um, a gentleman named Elliot Daly who helped to write a lot of the early scripts, and um, David Newell, who's played Mr. McFeely, he's a mentor to me as well. Um, but even even with that level of of understanding of the technique and the method, I, I would never claim to know what Fred Rogers would think or say. And I know that's not really what you meant, but I always like to mention that um, uh, there's never going to be another Fred, you know. Um, but I know that in the past, history shows us that um, Fred Rogers didn't like TV at all. I mean, it was the mass communication, the new thing. He hated it. The whole reason he got into it was because he didn't like it, right? The The old story is he saw... Um, slapstick. He saw people throwing pies in each other's faces, and he thought, "What? Why are we using this amazing communication device for stuff like that?" Um, so he decided to instead of going to um, uh, to to um, 
to learn how to become a, uh, uh, to go into the, um, oh, a Presbyterian minister to study that, he, he um, went to NBC to become a stage manager and, and slowly learn the business there. Um, so I guess that perspective was go to where the kids are and try to make change from the inside. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying, personally, I'm trying to follow that type of lead. Um, but at the same time, some of these systems are so complex and so messy. Um, it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to fix from inside. Um, and the other thing is these platforms, the social media platforms that feel like they've been around forever and they always will, will be, they won't. They, you know, our, our, our tools for communication change over time, but we don't. Um, that's something that David, David Newell taught me. He said that um, it's not that kids today have changed, it's the world around them, you know. And, and our essence of what it means to be a human being and to want to communicate and to want to be accepted and loved and know that we're capable of accepting and loving others and that we're, we can manage all the angry feelings too. Um, that's, that's always been around. Even when our communication tools were just sticks that we were using to draw on, on the cave walls, you know, like we choose how to use the tools, not the other way around, I guess is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. So, what are, you know, you mentioned you've, um, you know, changed how you distribute your show or you're taking it off YouTube and are trying these other platforms that you feel are more kid friendly, but it seems like you're also taking, you know, trying to, to work out like how to take bigger steps, it, it, you know, and maybe even think through how the industry broadly can change. Um, what are some of the things you think could get back to the kind of spirit that you're that, you know, that, that you feel like it works better for kids. I, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I, and I think it's about having a healthy, a healthy diet. Like, of, of course, kids are going to like the sweet, sugary things. Um, I, I do the analogy of, um, it's, it's the name of my, my uh, series for adults, Cookies for Breakfast. Imagine a teacher walking in on a Monday morning with a big silver platter and opening the lid and there's a big pile of cookies and they say, Cookies for Breakfast chances are the kids are going to enjoy the cookies for breakfast. If they do the same thing on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, kids are going to be excited about having some cookies for breakfast. But by Friday, parents are going to be calling in saying, "Say, what's the deal with all the cookies for breakfast? What's going on there? And it would be pretty easy for that caregiver to say, well, kids like cookies for breakfast. Kids today like cookies for breakfast. Look. Kids today. Right? Yeah. But, they, but you're the one giving them the cookies for breakfast from the beginning. So... You know, we, we need, I think it's the responsibility of adults is to give kids a healthy diet. Um, we can make, we can make food fun. You know, we can teach them how to grow a garden and, and make salads and make fruit pizzas, you know, and, and if you want to have a cookie every once in a while, great. Um, but there needs to be a balance. And I think right now the industry, um, goes with what, um, sells, you know, there are modern day versions of, um, folks like Pinky Lee. Um, you know, yoo-hoo, it's me, my name is Pinky Lee. Yoo-hoo, it's me, my name is Pinky Lee. I skip and run, we lots of fun. The high-pitched voices and bright colors and selling product, 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 directly, indirectly. Um, Blippi is a good modern version of, of characters like that. Blippi! Hello! How are you today? Yeah! 
Not good, not bad. Whoa. Just that's just an approach. But there's so much of that, and it sells. Um, on the other hand, there's um, going back to um, J- Jackie Coogan, um, the, the arguably the very first kid influencer, silent film star with Charlie Chaplin, who eventually became Uncle Fester on the um, Adams Family TV show. A whole law was put in p- place, the Coogan Law, to protect child actors from being taken advantage of. And being, but none of that stuff applies to the screens we have today with social media. We see kid influencers, children, becoming brands, um, getting all these hits on YouTube and social media, and then big production studios coming in and saying, oh, we can make you a, a global merchandising star. This Brandon won't be brand, just a kid. Brandon's going to be a brand, you know? Um, like, that's, that's the stuff we need to be really wary of. Um, where's the control? Who really has the influence? Who has the choice? Um, and think about, you know, the, the kids receiving the messages on, on the receiving end of the screen, but also on the, the giving end of it, the creator end of it, is is there a manipulation there is what kind of influence is happening you know what what self-awareness is there um as a teacher i always lean into teaching kids how to engage in the process of thinking not just telling them what to think wagging a finger and saying do this 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 and you'll succeed um i think all that stuff um, we can apply it to modern day screens and we're not doing that and i'm not sure what the solutions are um other than just slowly being consistent, doing my own stuff through Danny Joe's Treehouse. Um, and, and recently, last week, um, I launched my own production studio, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to grab a hold of other live-action adult care, who I see as caregivers, who are very sincere, who um, often the industry don't, they don't necessarily pay as much attention to them. Um, I'm, I'm trying to create a space where they can break through and start reaching um, an audience as well. Back, back to what you were saying about the algorithm, though, and the, and the influencer, the kid influencer. Like, I, this is not abstract to me at all because I have a, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, and they both watch YouTubers, and they, they, wanna, they want their own YouTube channel, they want to become famous, and they want to sell merch. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, it's... And, and it's hard to explain why or the concerns that that my wife and I have as parents about about the potential exploitation or the the becoming a brand and how that's not a positive thing like it's 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 hard because these are you know successful media people in the my kids eyes who are like kids and who are coming to them and like or you know if not little kids like them like pr- not too much older like not quite adults and so it's a strange it's even hard as a parent to kind of explain my concerns and maybe I don't even fully understand my concerns of the downsides, but, but I know that, you know, we're, we're not letting them have a YouTube channel, whether they might become an influencer or not, because it's, it feels, you know, it feels wrong. <laughs> it does not feel like a healthy parent parenting move. Yeah. Well, it's, so this is something I've been exploring a lot. I, I, well, here's a nice tie into Ed Surge. Um, my next um, op-ed is going to be all about this specific topic, um, kid influencers, but um all of my all of my material comes from truly listening to kids, kids in the classroom, and and kids through the interactive screen experiences that I do. And I've been visiting with some uh, older kids t- in in some local schools here in Baltimore, having these open ended conversations through play about what is what is influence. Um, 
And with, with some of the older kids, we take a sentence and we kind of break it down. And the, and the sentence is, you, you can't control the actions of others, but you can influence others with your own actions. And then we just kind of look at that and look at the, what are the power words in there? What does control mean? You know, can, there can be more than one definition. What does it mean to you? And what does influence mean? What does that mean to you? And, and, and start to plant these seeds of you are, you as a child are a human being and you have the ability to think critically. Um, and you also, do, you have the right as a human being to learn how to practice and use communication tools. And your adults are going to create a safe environment for you to do that. Um, and, and you'll, you'll building block, take some steps forward, um, an analogy that I use all the time on, on my cookies for breakfast series is um, the stick, the first communication tool we've ever had as human beings. And every child I have ever met in any classroom, doesn't matter where in the world, um, they love playing with sticks. We all do. Um, and there's two different responses to it from the adults, usually. Uh, one response generally is, put that thing down, you're going to poke your eye out. Well, just drop it. Nothing good will come of it, depending on the way the kid might be playing with the stick. Uh, uh, we don't play with it that way here, you know, depending on what social issues might be coming up, you know, with violent, dramatic play, you know, reenacting stuff that they've seen. Um, don't, just don't mess with it. Don't touch it. And then there's the other adult response, gener- generally, um, which is, hey, you found a stick. That's great. I love sticks. They can, a stick can be anything you want it to be. You can draw with it. You can build with it. it. You can pretend it's whatever you want. You decide. Your imagination guides how to use this thing. And based on the experiences that I have had as your adult, I can tell you if you're not careful, you could, you could, you could get hurt. You might poke yourself if you're running it with it this way, or you might hurt a friend if you're not careful. Um, I'm, I'm going to let you practice with this thing because you need to learn how to use it responsibly. Um, and if you need some backup, I'm here. I've got you. Um, sticks, stones, smartphones, there's, there's a lot of similarities but the deal with our smartphones and whatever happens to be coming next with communication tools, it's, it's, it's when the stick <laughs> is jumping up on its own and hitting you every once in a while. That's different. That's different. But, but still, we, we've got to give our kids these, these safe spaces where they can start to figure out how to use it. Um, it it's not bad for a kid to want to communicate with other children and what human being doesn't get excited by the idea of being known, you know, being accepted by a large group of people. We all crave that. Fame is, you know, exciting, but it should be looked at as a side effect of doing something that you're passionate about. Like what, what are you just copying what everybody else is doing? Are you opening your, um, your YouTube show or whatever show with, hi guys, you know, like, are you just repeating what everybody else is doing because you know that's going to get you numbers? That's one approach, but you should know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, your voice matters, and your influence can be used in really positive ways or negative ways, but you, you, you need to think critically and make that choice. Like It's important, I think, to teach kids that. Um, and we're trying to do that on uh, actually the next season of Treehouse, too. But um, anyway, that's 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 a something to think about for all us, all of us parents and teachers and caregivers out there. Um, sticks aren't necessarily bad; they're just they're just things. I guess one thing just to 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 mention as well is this challenging time we're in with the pandemic and the last couple years of of 
and you know, I'm hearing from educators that it's it's a very tough time that a lot of kids have gone through a lot um, at home and and are, are really have a lot of needs, um, social, emotional, and and mental health. And I wonder if there's anything that um, that you you know what the role of children's media is in that context. Uh, I, I remember at the at the start of quarantine when we like a few other people thought, oh, it'll be three or four weeks, um, and and uh, and I had already been using interactive screens since 2014 um, to doing live live stream performances through different platforms, and then eventually mainly um, Facebook at that time before I left. And uh, it was a moment where I was like, oh, this is what I've been training for. You know, those those moments in your life where you're like, oh, oh, I got the skills. This is this is what and I'm, I know how to talk about complex stuff and we can show up every day and I've got the time and I'll just, you know, my kids will be part of the show, too. And they became part of the show, too, being puppeteers. And um, and we were using interactive screens in really healthy ways to talk about quarantine and and talk about masks and all all of that stuff and it was it was a healthy use of screens and and something that made me feel really excited i had been preaching and preaching for so long about we should use interactive screens with kids we can do it in a healthy way um but there was a lot of concern about that um justifiable concerns but then during quarantine, we started seeing so many trusted adult caregivers using screens, book authors and, and um, uh, teachers, obviously, and, and you know, grandma and grandpa were getting into the act. Like we, we all accelerated into using these tools and maybe we didn't know exactly the best way to use it, but we were leaning into the social emotional stuff out of the, the need, out of being conditioned. We were all desperate to connect with one another, right? Yeah, we watched Mo Willems, the the children's book author and draw artist, like teach some art lessons. We did that with our kids here in my house. Yeah, so I guess I'm 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 reflecting on all that stuff because it's um, screens aren't bad; they're just things, and and I think we can use them in in healthy ways. And I'm not sure if that's answering your question exactly, but when it comes to the concerns that parents and teachers might have about interacting on screen. You you decide you you decide how to use it. You don't have to follow the lead of the algorithm. You don't have to be on social media. Um, other other options are coming, um, and we need to be wary of those other options too. Uh, but but uh, yeah, like with cookies for breakfast, when I've been seeking those sort of answers too, and I reach back all the time. The history repeats itself. I've talked to some of the pioneers of children's television. Um, Howard Blumenthal, who created Where in the World's Carmen Sandiego, um, and uh, Carrie Stinton, who was uh, the puppeteer actor who played um, Barney the Purple Dinosaur. Like They've seen these patterns before in how we use our screens and how social issues you know, can, can sway the intention and the control and the influence. Um, so there's a lot to learn there if we, if we look back. Um, what are, you know, what is one of the, give me a moment from, from your series there that, that, that really was an aha moment for you that from one of these, these legends of the, of the past, um, from children's, uh, television that, 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 that can be instructive or you found instructive. Can I pick two? <laughs> uh, so there's, there's a Howard was my first guest, Howard Blumenthal, and he is so direct in the best 
way. And my when I started that series, my concern was I had just heard about Instagram for kids. That was my big concern. And I thought, why on earth would you target a younger kid under 13 when, when we know there's tons of problems with social media, the way it impacts us? Even, even if you're saying you're, you're uh, adapting it to make it more healthy, why? why? What's, what's the intention there? It feels like just a pivot to get a new audience and, and a hook to get them while they're young, so they say. And uh, Howard was like, in, in some ways, the conversation's silly. Kids are already on Instagram. Um, technically, kids under 13 shouldn't be on social media, but we all know parents will allow their kids to go on social media. They'll create accounts for them. Um, and, and that's what that, that's reserved. I'm not judging in, intention of why people use social media. There's lots of good reasons to do it. Um, but he was like, it's, it's, it's less about the regulation. It's less about rules and laws and all that stuff. Cause those things don't always work well with our, when it comes to, to our expression of speech and, and you know, all, all of those complex things. It's, it's about empowering our kids. They and I've and I'm repeating myself, I guess, but it, I, I think that probably shows that it's an important thing. We got to show our kids how to think critically. How are they going to use their voices on these platforms in preparation for whatever the next platforms might be? The multiverse is on the horizon. It's not here yet. There are proto multiverse things, but uh, I think he means the metaverse. But I, I do the same thing with that. I mix it up all the time. We, we can't even begin to imagine what's coming next. But this is like the training time. We can we can use this time to uh, help our kids to look at what what is, what's a commercial? What is this thing? What's a blatant commercial or what's subliminal um, messaging? Like, how do you look for that? How do you navigate that? So he he talked a lot about the importance of parents and caregivers, um, educators stepping up and and teaching that. And then to pair with that, there's there, I had a um, an early childhood specialist named Rachel Janini. She was um, one of the early educators featured in the documentary No Small Matter, and uh, she's also a kids show host. She has a, a program, interactive program on Hellosaurus Spy School, and she she understands early childhood development. She she gets it. And her analogy was, um, you wouldn't just throw the keys to a car to the car to a um, under thirteen year old and say figure it out. You know, that's that's a lot of responsibility that you have to slowly build up to. Learn how to ride this tricycle. You know, <laughs> learn learn how to ride the bike and get your go through driver's ed. Go through, you know, like there's there's a build up to that responsibility that we don't necessarily do when it comes to screens. And I think maybe part of it um, is because we're afraid as adults. We want to protect our kids. You know. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff to worry about, um, but the best way to protect a kid isn't just shielding them because those things are going to come through. And I, I talk a big game, but I, I'm a very overprotective parent. Ask my children. <laughs> but but the best way to empower them is to give them the freedom and and the guidance. Uh, be a hummingbird parent instead of the uh, helicopter parent. I've heard some preschool teachers say, and. Uh, let them make some some mistakes, but be there to back them up so they can learn from those mistakes and learn how to use all of these communication devices that we're surrounded by. No, it's I love your own admission how hard it is to do in practice, right? Because you've got you've got this advice that's probably right, and and you see how hard it is in the 
reality of phones that are like sticks that can hit you back if they're depending on the algorithm. And so it's, it is, it is an ongoing challenge that it sounds like a, a, a continuing struggle. Well, something like a a nice, like your example of kids want your kids wanting to be, um, YouTube influencers. I'm not sure if that's exactly what you meant or not, but yeah, I think my older son has kind of said that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of, and, and honestly, some of their peers do do it and they see their dad making videos, me making videos for online. Why on earth can't they, they've got good ideas. And our solution was, yeah, I've got a podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Um, and our solution was, um, design it. Like, like when I make, uh, when I'm making a pitch, I create a pitch deck. I know what my log line is going to be. I have the description of what my story is about. I've done my research. I, I do thumbnails, storyboards, like I've got a plan and, and sometimes things can be off the cuff, like these sort of conversations. That's fun too. Um, but have a plan and then we can work together and find a platform. Like our kids have a private Vimeo channel. That's part of the Vimeo that we have. And it's only accessible to the grandparents. Um, and that's part of our training. Like they can, they can create these funny, sweet um, videos using editing and all the cool tools that are on the phone. And they're sharing it with their grandparents. And if they continue to do well with that, the next level is picking some best friends to share with. Um, so there's, there's still that opportunity to share thoughts and ideas and feelings. And we've got a little control. We've created a safe environment. Um, we're not just throwing them out to the wolves. Um, and they're going to learn some skills there so that um, they can think about what, what are they delivering? What are they putting out? What are they receiving? How are they going to deal with if there's a comment, even from a trusted adult, a caregiver, or a friend that's like, that was funny. You sounded funny when you sang that song. You, you know, like analyzing, well, what does that mean when I just read that text? Maybe that's a compliment. Maybe that's a burn. Maybe, you know, like, like understanding how to interpret. Um, stuff like that too. Um, so I think there are ways where we can still facilitate some practice without jeopardizing them. Um, thank you so much for for being here today and and sharing your your, your learnings from your your uh, your career and and your your series. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to keeping in touch with uh, anyone who wants to keep in touch. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Every week, we bring you conversations like this one. If you like the show, please take a minute to rate or review us on whatever podcast app you use. And if you like the EdSearch podcast, please tell a friend or share it on social media. And if you want to keep up with new episodes, you can sign up for our EdSearch podcast newsletter. Just go to edsurge.com and click on the word newsletter at the top right. And a program note, a reminder that we will be doing a live podcast taping later this month at the big ISTE Live conference in New Orleans. If you're going to be at that event, uh, we hope to see you in person. You can just search the program for the EdSurge podcast and you can find information about our session. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. And you can find me on Twitter, at J.R. Young. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening.